Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The title of the message is, What's the Ultimate Purpose of the Law? We're going to continue our study in Galatians. Let's read... Two verses, uh, two verses this morning, Galatians chapter three. Uh, let's start at verse number 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. We looked at that last week. Wherefore then serveth the law? That's the question we're going to answer this morning. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. We're going to try to get through half of verse number 19 this morning. There's a lot there. So Galatians chapter 3, verse number 19. Let's look at it. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. We've been taking our time through Galatians. There's so much in there that I feel sometimes you go too fast. You miss it. Um, So let's take this chunk by chunk. The question, what's the ultimate purpose of the law? That's the question that is asked here. Wherefore then serve the law? So look what it says. It was added. It was added. Go uh, to Romans. Go back to Romans and let's look at chapter number five. Romans chapter five. It was added. Romans chapter 5, verse number 20, the Bible says, Moreover, the law entered. This is Romans 5, verse 20. Okay, so we see in Galatians 3, it was added. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, moreover, the law entered. It's this adding, it's this entering of the law. Romans 5, 20, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So Galatians chapter 3, what do we see? Well, for serve the law, it was added. Romans chapter 5, what do we see? Moreover, the law entered. It's this adding and it's entering that we see as we contrast Galatians 3 and Romans 5. Now, Galatians 3, it says it was added because of what? Transgressions. We see transgression in Galatians 3. What do we see in Romans 5? Offense. Sin. So what's this purpose of the law? Well, it was added. It entered because of transgression, because of sin, because of offense. Or uh, uh, Yeah, offense. That's right. Look at this in uh, Romans chapter number 8. And then also get 1 John chapter number 3. Romans 8 and 1 John chapter number 3. At Romans 8, you can see this is, I like this. Uh, It's verse number 10, Romans 8, 10. And if Christ be in you, that's if you're saved, he would be in you, by the way. The body is dead. Look at this key phrase, because of sin. Why does our body, why does our flesh die? Sin. That's why. 
And then look what it says. But the spirit is life. Now watch this. Because of righteousness. Everybody picking, picking this up? So I want to look at this because of phrase. Because in Galatians chapter 3, look what it says. It was added, the law that is, because of transgressions. Romans 8 chapter 10. Why is the body dead? Because of what? Sin. Why is the spirit life? It's because of what? Righteousness is imputed by God. Now go over to 1 John chapter number 3. 1 John chapter number 3, verse number 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Now look at Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse number 19. I know this is simple, but it says, Wherefore then serveth the law? That's the question. And here's the answer. It was added, Romans 5, it entered because of transgressions. What is a transgression? Well, 1 John 3 gives us the definition. The Bible defines the Bible. And it says, transgression, sin is the transgression of the law. Whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law. We're looking at some key words in, in the introduction. Um, and as I wrap that thought up, go over to First uh, Timothy chapter number one. The law. I'm drawing out these key words. I'm trying to get you to see this. Entering, adding, offense, sin, transgression, disobedience, transgressive. All of those terms have to do with why the law was entered. First Timothy chapter number one. Verse number nine, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, isn't it easy to read that and just look at it and say, well, I've never murdered anybody. Except in verse number 10, have you ever told a lie? It's right. In there with the same sin as murdering your father or your mother and for a manslayer. And it says disobedient. Kids, have you ever disobeyed your parents? Now is not the time to tune out. <laughs> Us as adults. can't. Or, when you hear that about kids, don't we all look back and say, yeah, I remember when. I remember when it's like if my, you know, if my parents were here, 
I'm teaching on this. You know, they they'll be smiling and like because because they know what I put them through. <laughs> Sin, disobedience. It's right in there. In the same list with someone that murders their own father or mother. Nobody's a good person. Not compared to God. So God, this law enters because look at Adam and Eve in the garden. Innocence. But they sin. How do you sin? They didn't have a Woodstock festival to go to in the 60s. <laughs> there, there wasn't Facebook that was influencing them to do bad things. They didn't have neighbors that were a bad influence. They didn't have Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin or ACDC or any of these. Well, I don't even know if young people even know this. But all, these, all, all this vile music that we want to protect our kids against, they didn't have any of that. I mean, the reason my kids went astray, man, they got a hold of some Patch the Pirate and they put some syncopation in there, man. They're just going to go off the deep end. They're going to. They ain't going to go off the deep end anymore if you put a Led Zeppelin in front. I'm telling you. Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel had none of that. I'm all about trying to create an environment of innocence. When we were kids, what, what were we? Innocent. Young kids, what are they? Innocent. So what's the problem? That would be sin. And this is why the law enters that the offense may abound because it's going to show you just how bad you really are rather than pointing it to, well, the reason my kids is because of the reason this person did that is because of it's so easy to reflect it off onto a because of instead of just realize, well, sin. And the law shows us and magnifies to us just how sinful we are and how much we need a savior. So now we have conscience. Adam and Eve sinned, and now, well, the conscience would govern man, except here comes a flood. <laughs> and one guy outside preaching that nobody wants to listen to. Conscience can't be your guide because a flood came, because of sin. Well, humanity would, would govern us now. We come off this boat. Now, humanity, just the goodness of man. Nope. Tower of Babel. God confounds their language. Why? They were trying to get to God on their own. Now we have this literal promise to Abraham. He's promised dirt. A land survey was already done, Genesis 15. <laughs> Many descendants, Genesis 12. I will bless thee, Genesis 12. Oh, child, and all that. How will all this happen? We looked at it by faith, right? Abraham wasn't justified by keeping the law. And he wasn't justified because he got some real estate. He was justified by faith. We understand that. So here's the point I'm trying to draw out in those three things. The promise didn't necessarily magnify sin. Humanity doesn't necessarily magnify sin. 
Conscience doesn't necessarily magnify sin, and innocence certainly doesn't magnify sin. But the law does. And so now enter into the law to nullify the covenant promise. No, 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 no. To disannul it. No, 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 no. To magnify sin so that the offense may be made very, very clear and bring sin under a microscope. Would anybody in this entire world know what the coronavirus looks like? Not without the microscope to put it under and magnify it. And now we put that big picture in front of everybody. And now we're scared to death of a virus this big. Except the virus isn't that big, is it? It's so minute, it can take you out. Hello. That's the law. That's what it does. It takes the microscope under the sin and it shows you you are not a good person. It shows you you cannot get to God on your own. It shows you don't trust in humanity. It brings to life and you see this big, 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 big picture of who you are. Sin. And that's the problem. And that's why the law came in. So we don't try to win people to Jesus by leaving out sin. That is what convicts them. If we leave out sin, there's nothing to be saved from. Why are you going to throw a life raft to somebody who's standing on dry ground? It doesn't make sense. Why waste the time? God created an external measuring stick, an external standard or a microscope, so to speak. Man lives by externals. You took put a, uh, if you, most of you have raised kids already. You put, you know, brother and brother together, or sister and sister together, or whatever it is. And mom has rules. And so, if you're not careful, the kids will just start competing for mom's attention based on who follows the rules. It's an external standard, and mom can see who's the obedient one, who's the disobedient. Mom and dad can see, okay, you disobey this law, you're going to get a consequence. God gives man what man desires, an external standard. And when man tries to live up to that external standard, he finds out he can't. And this is the problem of the modern mega church in America. They leave that part out. Go buy your prayer, Jabez. Go sow your seed. Go send in some. It's all a bunch of phony baloney. They leave sin out. Now, get over to James chapter number two. And we're going to look under this microscope and we're going to see a few things. Number one, we see that God is holy. And just because you and I arrived on the scene, that doesn't change God's holiness. We're not as sweet as we think we are. We're not as special as we think we are. James chapter 2, verse number 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. But mom, but dad, I just did. You're guilty. And God says, 
you, you, oh God, I've never killed anybody. I've never done any of this real vile stuff. Look at the other people. Look what they do. I, I mean, God says, yeah, but you lied. And you're guilty of all. And stop shaking your fists at God. It is not God's fault. It's our fault. We have to get people to see one point they offend, they're guilty of all. God is 100% holy. His holiness will not change because we're here. <laughs> Life, get over to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Is not about, well, everybody makes mistakes. We ought not take that attitude. Well, you know, don't worry about it. Everybody makes mistakes. As if it's not really a big deal. If you do it again, don't worry about it. Because after all, we all make mistakes. Mistakes do need to be dealt with. And yeah, everybody does make mistakes. So let's be careful that we give some grace, right? It kind of that's kind of what God does. But also, you know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter number six. The Bible says in verse number 15, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. I know God is love. I know God is mighty. I know God is great, but he's also holy and he's also pure. And these things are not talked about. It's always the love of God. It's always the power of God. It's always the might of God. It's always anything. But by the way, God is angry with the wicked every day. By the way, God hates sin. By the way, God. Why don't we hear that? We're afraid. These preachers are afraid. They're willy-nilly, yellow-spined cowards. They can't get up in front of a group of people and say, God hates your sin. Well, he just kind of hates the sin and not the sinner. How are you going to dissect sin out of you? What is it, sitting next to you? <laughs> well, my sin's over here, and I'm over here, and God just loves me. He just hates the sin, as if you can take it out and put it in a bucket. God hates sin. You're a sinner. You're God's enemy. There's hate involved. There's anger involved. And it's attached to you. And that's where the love of God comes in. Right. For God, so what a small world word that says so much. Love. The world. That's how that word so gets so big. When you don't attach your sin and put it over here. Well, God loves me. He just hates the sin. No, there's a part of that sin that's attached to you. God hates sin. You're his enemy. He hates that. But he loves you so much that he's willing to die for you in that state and in that condition. Brother Jimmy, are you saying God hates people? I'm saying God hates sin and you're a sinner. You cannot disattach yourself from that. You are his enemy. You and God aren't on good terms. You're not saved. And God hates his enemies. 
So stop, and we have to stop allowing people to take their sin and put it in a bucket and say, well, God just hates that. No, you're part of that. And he loves you so much that he died for you in that state. We try to take ourselves and magnify ourselves and dismagnify the sin. And the way that we do that, the way that Christianity does that is we say, we'll just put our sin over here. God hates that, but he just loves me because I'm so. No, you're not so. God is so. He is so love and he loved you in your condition. And that is why he died for you. We cannot understand the magnificence of the love of God until we understand just how wretched and wicked and vile a sinner we are, even if we lied. That is how holy God is. And we measure ourselves amongst what other people do or other Christians do that we don't. And we say, I'm kind of good. God hates sin. And the law comes in to magnify it like that microscope with the coronavirus. And now we got a real clear picture of what it is. And God wants to give us a real clear picture of who we are. Psalm 711 says God judgeth the righteous. So God does judge things. And God is angry with the wicked every day. How about putting that up on a billboard? You would be called the meanest man in town because you gave somebody the Bible. I'm telling you, this idea that God is just love and God is just all forgiving is void of other truth. And it makes it false. God will love you like nobody else in the entire world had ever loved you. You get married and you think that, you know, the girl thinks, oh, he's just so sweet. He's just going to love me so great. And, 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 and the husband, you know, the guy, he thinks the same thing. Oh, she's just going to worship me and love me and all this. And then it ain't about six months until they both realize none of them loved each other as much as they tried to sell it. <laughs> that ain't God. <laughs> that is not God. God loves you better and more than anybody can ever do. And that love is magnified when you realize how bad and vile you were to him. I just can't love my husband. He's just so mean to me. I just can't love my wife. She is just so, so irritable and mean to me. Oh, really? Kind of like what you are to God? But his love is different than our love. He can look down at us as sinners and love us so much that he'll die on a cross and shed his blood for us. The modern church leaves that part out. God is just love. He isn't just love. God is love, but that's not just who he is. We need to stop allowing people and allowing ourselves to act like we just made a little mistake and it's not a big deal. The Bible says the wicked shall perish. The wicked shall be broken. The wicked plotteth against the just. Psalm 36 says the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God. Before his eyes. Who wants to know what the problem in America is? That verse right there. People don't fear God. They fear other things. But anything but have to look up and fear God. Let's do Exodus chapter 20 because 
If you guys memorize something out of there today, kids. Exodus chapter 20. Look at verse number three. Uh, okay. Uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. First commandment. Second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the father upon the children upon, uh, under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. That's commandment number two. That's a big commandment. Which the Roman Catholics have conveniently taken out of the Bible, by the way. Well, how do they come up with ten? They split the tenth commandment into nine and ten. And that's how they come up with ten commands. Why do you think they have images? How do you think they get Bible to support St. Francis and St. Christopher on your car and Mary and all the rest of it? Easy. I just strip out a commandment. Well, we need 10. Let's just make the 10th one, too. These people hate God and they hate his word. Now, verse number seven, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. That taketh his name in vain. Well, I would never say, oh, my God. Yeah, but you text it all the time. And then and then young people justify it and said, well, that's not really the same. God's not going to hold you guiltless. We can't keep God's law. It should magnify how sinful that we really are. Matthew 22 says God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. The Bible says we are dead in trespasses and sins. God is not your God, unless you've been made alive by Jesus Christ. He's your creator, but you're not serving him as God. And there's no relationship and fellowship with him. Until you have realized that you are dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible says, for as an Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Anybody, anywhere can be made alive through Jesus Christ. If they realize they're dead in trespasses and sins, they need to be regenerated. And they can come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. That's our message when we go out and talk to lost people. And next, let's go over to Romans chapter number seven. Romans chapter seven. As we put the law under the micro, this law microscopes our our life and it should show us how exceedingly sinful we really are. Look at Romans seven, verse number seven. Let's read. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. This idea we're going to tell people about a loving God and not include some type of law is a mistake. Mm -hmm. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shall not covet. And people say, well, I don't have a lust problem. I don't look at dirty pictures. I don't, look, I don't watch dirty movies. Yeah, but did you ever covet something? Okay, then you have a lust problem. 
Do you see how we compare our life with somebody else and we say, well, see, I'm not really that bad. The law is supposed to come around and magnify how bad you really are. <laughs> That's the purpose of the law. It enters in, it comes in, and it makes everything magnified. You know why people don't want that? Because people like to live in the darkness. They don't want the light of God's word shown them. Get that light out of here. People don't go into the bar at night. They don't go down to Spankies or Hooligans or the rest of those devil joints at night with all the lights out. If somebody were to come on over there at 1030 at night, well, they're all drinking and fornicating and doing all that ungodly stuff and turn the lights on. The whole place would be like, turn it, turn the lights back down. They go out at night and do that. People live in darkness. They don't want God, the light of God's word shown upon them. They want to hide their sin. They don't want anybody to see them do bad. That's why kids sneak away. Adults sneak away to do bad things. They don't want the light on them. They don't want anybody to reveal and magnify who they really are. The law comes in and says, here's you before God. The best thing we can do is help people see how sinful they are. That is what will lead them to realize they need a savior. I ran, if, I, if I ran after Brother Tom after church, and I said, Brother Tom, Brother Tom, I got the cure for you, leukemia that you've been, you've been looking for. He would look at me and say, what have you been smoking? I don't have leukemia. What are you talking about? It wouldn't make any sense to him. But we run all the time and say, Jesus loves you. God loves you. Let me tell you. Would you? Well, what do I need Jesus for? If I gave a report to Tom that showed his blood results and his physical that he took, and it showed evidence that he had a disease, and he's looking at that, and he's digesting that, and then the next day I run after him after church, Tom, 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 I found the cure for what you got. Let me see that. Give me that. He realized he had a need. We leave that part out. And God doesn't want us to. We must help people see that they have a need before we give them the cure. Too many times we try to give them a cure and they don't realize they have a need. Be ready to listen to the law. Be ready to read the law. Be ready to show someone the law. Why? So they can follow it? So you can put them under it? No. So they'll be convicted of sin. And it can show them that no matter how hard they try, they can't keep it. It's just simple. Just start with the simple sins. Have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah. And help them to see that that simple sin puts them at enmity with God. Now, let's go back to Galatians. In case you kids that always count how many pages of notes I have, I'm on the third and final page of notes. And I know you're taking notes yourself, and that's great. Galatians chapter number three, verse number 19. We can do it, right? We can do it. Galatians chapter three, verse number 19. What are we trying to figure out here? Wherefore then serveth the law. Okay, we got that. It was added because of transgressions. Okay, we got that. Now, the last thing we're going to look at is this. Till the seed should come. To whom the promise 
was made till the seed. Well, who's the seed? Jesus Christ. We looked at that. The law, a few messages ago. The law started with who? Moses. And who's the law going to end with? Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Remember that, that sermon we preached a few Sundays ago. So we see that. The Bible says in Romans 10, 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Go to Colossians chapter number two. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter number two. Remember, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Nobody can keep the law. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ now shall be saved. So look at this. See if we can tie this thought up. Law starts with Moses, ends with Jesus Christ. Christ, the end of the law for righteousness. How did it end? Here's how it ended. Colossians 2. How did the law end? Got Colossians 2. Look at verse number 13. And you, being such a lovable person. No, Joel Osteen's wrong. He's wrong. He's always wrong. You being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Yes. God was against you. God was against me. And yes, God is against every single lost person. He is against them. The law condemns them. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's why we preach the cross of Jesus Christ. That is why we magnify him and the word of God. We must get people to the cross, or it won't end with them. They will continually be in bondage. Under a law that they cannot keep. We must get them to the cross. So they can see the love of Christ. And repent of their sins. And be saved. Lastly. This contrast. Is designed to complement. If we go back to Galatians chapter 3. Please stay with me. We're getting ready to close. But Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse number 9. I want to read this. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many or as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. 
and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Curse to everyone that hangeth on the tree. 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. We might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the matter of man, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto the seeds as of many, but as of one, and unto thy seed, which is Christ. Verse 17. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, I want to draw out a contrast, and we'll close. This promise to Abraham, God's the focal point. Faith is emphasized. The faith response results in God's imputed righteousness and eternal life. And it brings about freedom and liberty. Now, contrast that to the law. Where's the focal point? It's not God. The focal point is man. External things that man has to do. Man must work. Man must put in time and effort. Man must keep, obey, follow. Man working results in man adding his own righteousness. It results in humanity is basically good. You see, we keep laws. Nope. Except we don't keep laws. We always break them. And we're cursed. And we're condemned. Because of that. The emphasis on man. And man doing. The result is condemnation. It brings about bondage. Bondage. People are servants to sin. They're lost and they can't win. Instead, we help people realize their lost condition so they can win the victory that's been won in Christ on the cross. And our objective is to use the law to help magnify their sin. Jesus Christ brought an end to the law. We'll close with this. Galatians 3.19 says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Colossians 2.14, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Romans 10.4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, to everyone that believeth, the law should be used to help people realize just how exceedingly sinful that they really, really are. So bad. They're so bad that they realize they need a savior. The same way, oh, the cancer is so bad. The disease is so bad. I need, I need the medicine. And this is how this complements the promise. Hope you enjoyed the message. Help us all to be able to bring the good news, but without leaving out why people need the good news, because of the bad news.
Remember, bad news is only really bad news if there is no good news. Proud person, law, 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 law. As soon as they humble themselves, grace, grace, grace. Someone's really getting bowed up, keep showing them, keep showing them, keep showing them law, law, law. As soon as they show a hint of, hmm, give them some grace. That law is designed to magnify just how bad of a sinner they are. Don't be afraid to give them the good news. Because ultimately, it is good news. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.